Hello, welcome to the first episode of Swimming with Sharks. This is a new podcast from Sail Sharks. I'm Mark Chapman, and each month I'll be talking uh, to the leading lights inside Carrington on both the men's and the women's side of the game. And we'll also be joined uh, by people who run sporting organisations across the Northwest to get their insights on how they run their clubs compared to how Sail run things here and we'll basically just take you behind the scenes to show you why Sail Sharks is much more than just a rugby club. On this episode then, the very first episode, we're going to look at what goes on right here at Sail Sharks. We're going to talk leadership and culture uh, with two very special guests. Sail Director of Rugby Alex Sanderson is with us and a man who this time last year became England's youngest captain since 1988 when he led his country against Scotland. That is, of course, Sharks and England flanker. Tom Curry, welcome to the to the first one. Um, when did you first realise that you were a leader? Straight into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When did I? When did the epiphany, like me, uh, the voice? Yeah. Some divine yeah. entity. Um, right. I guess the realisation, if we're going back that far, was probably when I was about thirteen, Lancashire under thirteen. Right. And my dad used to make me stand on a chair at home after mealtimes, like rehearsing my thank you to the women who made the food, you know, thank you to the opposition team. Because you used to have like a tie handover. Did they still do it in your times where you got like a tie from the opposition? So just being um, confident enough to do that and, you know, the captaincy side of thing was, was a bit easier than the, the nerve-wracking element of having to stand... In front of in front of everyone, but it was that when you started to realise that I started to realise that my my role exceeded more than just the uh, performance on the field yeah, around that time. So, do you think that was your that your dad had spotted that, or was your dad trying to make you a leader? Um, I think they've always tried to force us um, into into leadership roles. Yeah, to take some form of um, good example, you know, primarily through performance, but then um, secondarily through uh, kind of verbal and motivational means. Yeah, because you, within sport, well, within business as well, you find very different types of leaders, don't you? You don't, you don't have to be a great speaker to be a leader. You don't have to deliver speech after speech. You can lead in many different ways. Yeah, 100%. And I think bringing it back to sale and kind of how we're finding things at the minute, I think we've we've definitely discovered that. Um, and like you said, it's kind of like, how do you fit in that? For, for me personally, I'm different from my brother, who's an identical twin, who's different from a, a, a Jono. Um, so it's kind of, kind of finding the way you fit in, and then working together with it. Um, because like Alex said, it's... N there's obviously you you have to play well first and foremost like that's the thing you can't lead and be dropping balls and training and that um but but how you deliver messages how you how you can show that and how you can bring each other um because ultimately it's about getting the best out of the team um and you know we've got the group together um we work together and and, and find different ways because on different days it will be different as well like a monday we'll be talking more working through the moves whereas on a, a tuesday or wednesday when it's like fast and furious and you know, it's pretty much hell. 
you're probably going to be leading more rather than talking because you can't you're blowing out your ass um so yeah it's, it's it's a constant evolution i think different scenarios under different types of pressure require different types of leadership um and tom to his credit is understanding intentional communication right now we've talked a bit about that yeah, yeah. Um, because where he is the best at is leading through example and his own emotion, which is genuinely right, and the best players can thin slice that. They know what's needed. But there's always um, an evolution of leadership and understanding of what does everyone else need, not just what it is that you need to get out at that point in time. So we're getting into that space at the moment, aren't we? I think the biggest work on at the minute is like separating, like you said, separating yourself from like kind of what the team needs. How do you understand like what you're thinking, your emotions, how you're feeling to like what's actually happened? Because if half the time, if you watch training back, it's brilliant. But then when you're in it, it's like, this is going, you know, it's going left, right, center, like you're getting broke and it's kind of like take a step back and, and have time to evaluate. Um, and I think that's really important. And like we said, it's it's learning and evolving. So just to expand on what intentional communication is then. So um, so say the neuroscientists that we employ, when you interact with someone, um, you both leave that interaction with either a positive or a negative feeling um, or response. It's never ever neutral. However, however you might think that was an all right conversation, it's the other person's going to feel a different way. So it, from a, like he says, from a scenario where maybe we've failed and forced them to fail in training, which we do every Tuesday on these Fast and Furious days, um, are they able to separate their emotion from the outcome to understand what the clear message is to, to respond and get the outcome we do want in that next passage of phase and play? To do that, there is... Um, degree of self-awareness, uh, mindfulness, if you will, like where am I in this point in time? Some short reflection potentially between the other leaders because as much as he might have dropped two passes, which never happens, but let's just say he does, yeah. and he feels a certain way about he's performing, and yet the team in general might be performing really well, but if he carries that feeling into his next communication, he's going to put a Debbie down on everyone. Yeah. So that short amount of reflection, his own self-reflection, will enable him to take that breath, hopefully, and deliver something that's right for the mass, not just for himself, which would which would be cat and nine tails. You know, he'll be saying, right, this next passage, I've got to do this. But for everyone else, can you do this? And that is a really hard, difficult, emotional separation to make. Other times, he might be absolutely spot on to say, boys, like we need to step this up. And he feels it, and everyone else feels it. Using that raw emotion is the best. But if you're able to control and be intentional with what that communication is, then you'd be the better for it as a leader. When you when you when you were England captain a year ago, then and and taking that point on board that, in some ways, it's, it's not sacrificing your own emotions, but you have to park your own emotions. Let's say you do drop two passes in an England training session when you are captain compared to when you're not captain. Does that alter your behaviour? Are you aware of going into those training sessions, training camps, that you might be a bit different in this one? because you are leading the team that week? Um, yeah, England was a bit of a different one um, because we had, a, we had a proper, like it was a very set and, and definite leadership group. Um, kind of everyone was, not designated roles, but we knew what we were going to get out of each other. You know, I was very fortunate. I had like Ellis Genge, um, Slady, um, people like Luke Kandicki, um, really good players. 
and to be surrounded by that and 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 they speak really well and that kind of put a lot of pressure off me because obviously as young and not as many as much experience as these players um so it took a lot of pressure off me to kind of talk and and give these speeches um it was more kind of delegation um and kind of what I'm feeling and ultimately to put me in the best place to to kind of lead by example I think that was the main that was definitely the main point for me going going into into that game and even the training week um so I, I was really supportive and that's kind of what we're talking about in terms of having a, a good group around you um to then get a, a a real good picture of how things are going um and and to tap into other people because you don't know everything yeah. um and chances are I, I know myself I'm still learning but like relying on other people is, is is huge I think for leadership because like I said at the start the ultimate goal of leadership is to get the best out of the team um, and ultimately it's it could be someone else who has a, a better point or, or a better uh, point of view. Do you personality test your players? No, I have in the past on different models and um, I find it ends up getting put in a draw somewhere, you know, how you, it's interesting at the time, gives you some insight, but generally like stats for the most part only go to support you, your feeling or your, your, your own experience of, of that person. Any, any coach um, worth his salt, I think should have a, a decent understanding of at least um, the basic characteristics of the people they're trying to reach and, and, and work with. That knowing in the basic basic terms whether they respond to stick or carrot would be a, would be a prime one, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, I, I, look that that yeah. I don't think people are, are that black and white. No. The, the, yeah, there's there's always shades of grey, and that comes down to context of where that they're, they're at in their point in life. And I mean that like holistically, not just where they are in terms of performance. I think all these all things surrounding, um, as well as the coach player relationship bleeds into performance so I mean look in pr again in principle if we're making broad strokes sweeping um, judgments players like him never need a stick they truly don't um, the, and all the conversations are one of Socratic Socratic questioning because uh, they understand where they need to get better as well every now and again they need a prod but but never never really a stick when you um, when you took over here uh, and became the leader here. What did you assess your first tasks to be? Um, one of inclusion, uh, understanding, um, the building of trust, rapport, setting the foundations for honest conversations. And on the back of that, um, providing some stability, security and belief in a, in a and in a group that still, I believe, has a lot more growth in him. Yeah, and it's, it's that still be, that still is one of the main things that I have to continuously drive because rapport, trust, inclusion, the ability to work together is is the fundamental of a, a cohesive group that's trying to strive for a um, a collective purpose, if you will. How do you start that process? Time, time spent, yeah. honest conversations going to have coffee in Hale, which is not a bad spot, <laughs> if it's Tom. Uh, going to houses, seeing the families outside of the workplace, um, 
and as my coaching, uh, the need for me to coach here is diminished because we've got great coaches here. I believe that. It's as simple a thing as going for a walk around the fields and understanding um, where, we're, where, where we're at, where the players are, where the Reds, how, how we can facilitate help um, for the player to feel like he can get the best out of himself. But that even all that is, a, is after, you know, a, a high degree of honesty and that, that takes time in itself. I know it sounds simple, but actually devoting the time to it and being open to it is, is, is a lot more difficult to attain. Touch on when Al first came in, we had a lot of kind of deeper meetings, um, didn't we? I thought, I thought I actually bored you off a little bit. Well, I did. <laughs> no, it's, it was, it was good a bit though, of pushback, but I think it started that, was, that way. Yeah. That was the biggest change, I think, um, from, I guess, the coaches. Like before, it was very much, you know, outcome-driven, um, basically just rugby. And then I think when Alex came in, the, the, the group needed, like we talk about trust and belief, the group needed to know each other better and, and kind of work with each other better. Um, and I think when, when, when Alex first came in, it was, it was about starting those conversations. I think he did that really well. Um, and we, we, we still have them now. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the Tuesday meeting, isn't it? Or the yeah. Monday meeting, like the reflections, and then sometimes yeah. that could probably go a bit deeper. Yeah, not as much, but we don't need them as much because yeah. there's a, an understanding of what we're trying to get out of those meetings and uh, an increased level of trust where um, a psychological safety, should I say, you know, that being the buzzword. Sorry, Tom, to yeah. steal your thunder, where the players do speak up. You know, so it's 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 a lot more pull rather than the push that used to come from the coaches. I feel that way. Psychological safety being, I'm guessing, you're able to say whatever you feel, whatever you think is going on, without it being perceived as a as a weakness, as a oh for recrimination yeah. or even wrong because you've just said it there. Feel and think, you know, like. You can't. No one's ever wrong with a feeling because that's how you feel. Uh, but best we know it, best best to understand it, and then you can address it to see if your perception or the team's perception matches up to the reality of of what actually happened. And then, by process, you're able to make your actions more intentional. Do you see what I mean? It's yeah, it's yeah. kind of cyclic in its in its theory, at least. And I, I like to think it has had some intangible contribution to. Yeah. Consistent performance, but Tom's. Well, I think from a play it. from a player's perspective as well, a, a, it has to be trained because it, it was awkward first, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was really awkward. Even the young lads, even old lads, like um, well, I say old, but like the the old, <laughs> the, the older ones. Um, but even, not as old as me, all right. That's what you're trying to say. <laughs> um, but it, it, it is, and it's. I think being able to start those conversations so that when it comes to now, was it two, three years later, it's a lot more natural. Um, you know, when we get into small groups, it's not, right, who are we waiting for? You know, that awkward is kind of like, right, what do we need to do? Because we know, A, we trust the process now, uh, and, and B, everyone's used to it. You know, it's not, it's young lads are getting involved. Um, and I, I think, like you said, if, if people are speaking about it and, and, and you know, then they're going to own it. They're going to be, like you said, more intentional with it. Um, and I think that's when everyone starts like lifting and driving each other rather than waiting for, you know, a coach to say something or you know a player to say something. Like everyone's kind of like bringing it themselves. That that safety, but going just going back to the safety thing from a player's point of view, it's huge, isn't it? Yeah, hundred um, percent. And I think you know, sport in general is going that way. 
um, because we're leaning a lot more on, on the team rather than you know an individual or you know like an old-fashioned leader where it be speeches at the front on a Monday, speeches at the front on a Tuesday. It's more like how can we integrate? And I think it's better because it's not just you know it's not just the first fifteen are just talking to themselves and it's getting in amongst the young lads so that you know when they go when they train against us they're better in themselves so then they're going to make the team better or they go away and they're making you know they're, they're driving it themselves um and i think that is really really handy um but it, it's not like it happens overnight i think alex worked really hard um and the other coaches as well not just the rugby staff um i i, I think it's been two or three years in the making and i think we're probably seeing some of the fruits now. There are, there are so many things in your answers that would take us off down so many different uh, tangents and, and we will and we'll just see where we where we end up really. So what environment is created for you within the club that allows you to try things that don't work? Because quite often in professional sport, if you try a few things that don't work, then you could be out on your ear as a, as a, as a head coach or performance director. So clearly... Um First you have to be secure, don't you? You have to be oh, yeah, feel secure and safe within an organisation. Yeah, I'm supported really well. I've got a group that was not through their own choice, but close to an area of the game, which is so obvious when you speak to any decent player, like how much of your game is mentality, how much is down to your physicality, all things being equal. And it, it generally comes down to your ability to mentally prepare, reflect and grow on the back of that reflection um, and yet you know in, in almost every organization and the proof and evidence for this there's very little spent time in this areas of your mental skills everything that he does in the gym on the field every time his heart beats for the most part how fast he runs how many how many times he jumps is measured yeah. and as such through inspection you're out you're able to improve him but everyone has that ability to measure now in that field, in the S&C world, which is why, to some degree, everyone's kind of levelling out. You know, the, the Football World Cup was an example of that. You had teams who were up to the level of other teams through the sports science, and so the skill level was kind of levelled out. So the, the only space on the back of the initial thing about it coming down to mentality that you can step into and make strides is the intangible one, which is the, the things that you can't see. Even though we know they're there, you can't measure it and you can't show that to an owner, for example, or the people who are investing in your club, but you know it's important. So firstly, there was the discussion that this is the way I want to take the club. These are all the reasons for why you know, and spent some time with some sporting organisations in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, and then there's my own fortitude to, to stick to something which I believe in. Like, if, if, if it doesn't work, then I've still attempted it for the things that I believe will make a difference. And, and then that comes down to your own kind of personal commitment to, to an area of the game. Um, where you think you can make a difference, a bigger difference, and actually trail a new path as opposed to just doing what other teams have done and you'd always become second best. Since since starting this, like I say, some things have stuck, some things haven't, and and that's different in different organisations with the personnel you have, 
but you can now begin to measure it. Science is catching up to what coaching has understood for 15, 20 years. Because you watch that last dance, like, they were all into all of this, you know, similar stuff. It's not, this is not um, evolutionary. It's just perhaps more prominent now because it's the only area you can step into. But what we can do now is measure some of the hormones in your brain, which give rise to prolonged uh, endeavour and effort. Um, I'm talking about oxytocin here, the love drug that you get in really close organisations that you get between partners who are in love, that you get between a mother and a child. Person and a dog. The person and the dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's true yeah, though. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so and that's yeah. something they're able to farm and they know if you can farm that and the increase levels in that, the better the culture, the better the cohesion, the longer and harder you're gonna work for each other. That's that we can measure. So if you can measure that and you can cross reference that over to what they do on the field and how we interact and how we socialise, then by rights, you know, people respect what you can inspect, we should be able to to understand in time what what best creates the best culture to increase oxytocin. They don't know if it's just down to friendship, by the way. It could just be purely down to respect. If you have enough respect for someone, your ability to lean into that, for you to do it for them, yeah. increases that level of oxytocin as so well. So you are measuring that? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you look at some sports, you look at some teams, and everything is done in a variety of sports, everything is done with such patterns of play and everything is coached to the hilt that actually it takes away individual decision-making on a, on, on a field. Bef I think before Alex, when, before Alex came in, it was very much, I think we, we always had like, very good individual players. And like you said, someone would bring something out of nothing and it, it might win the game for you. Um, and I think especially this season included is us doing it all together, but still having that individual talent to go right. We c it's just more like having a framework on the field, I think. Um, but then being able to express yourself within that. Um, and I think this season, a lot of people think we're, we're maybe playing it a bit more or, you know, we, we're going width to width or, or just kind of, um, I don't know, being experimental with attack, but it, it's not, it's the same framework. We're just working a lot better and we're allowing people to make decisions within that, I think, better. We've got a group of people here now who want to be here, properly want to be here for the most part. There's been two years of transition for their own reasons and for their for the right reasons. So I'm not, I'm not slagging anyone off here. But we've got a group that's settled, which I believe can grow together. And within that two years, there's been... Um, as there always is and has been proven within any sporting organisation, the longer you te keep a team together, the increased chance they have of performing better and ultimately winning. Um, so this, you've seen like who scored at the weekend with five academy lads, but three of them weren't playing 18 months ago. And now they're not just playing, they're established and knocking on door for international um, duty, I, I believe. So, and that, that just takes time. So regardless of me thinking I've wrought a change, it, it, I think with enough backing, this team would have found form anyway, because as long as they've been kept together, because through time, you get cohesion and you get improved performance. So it's a combination of the two. D during a game, 
how um, bearing in mind we're talking about providing the structure but then being allowed to fail within the structure as long as they're within that structure during a game how intense and involved are you if if something is failing within the structure do you do you let them get on with it how how much do you you and your coaches involve yourself i like to think very little we wanted the lads to take an ownership in training for them to drive and get the fixes within the, within um, sessions which are above peak game intensity. So they're working really hard. We're making them fail. Right, you fix it. Not us, but you fix it. And even if that fix is wrong within the instant, still don't we interfere as coaches because then we can reflect on it. Why did you say that? What were you thinking? What were you feeling? Would this be a better solution? So you get your fix po afterwards. And again, in hindsight, I think it's done us some benefits because the water breaks, you can't get the messages on. And oftentimes, the message that was right for 10 minutes before that, because you come to a water break, is irrelevant in terms of what the next play is. So there's been a real push for us and you know, for, for Tom and for the leaders that surround Tom as well to being able to take control in the breaks in game, which is relatively easy. They're the little huddles, the little circles that everyone does, but, but more, more difficult... Um, a challenge is to actually take control and shift it in phase, mid phase, to get on with the job so quickly that you've dropped a ball, you're in a transition. Now, now what's next? And that's that's a real challenge, isn't it, Tom? I don't know how you're fair with that one, but yeah. can you feel the transference from training? You're going to say that you are now, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, no, I, I was thinking. Uh, no, I was thinking. I, I definitely agree because um, a lot of the work is done during the week, isn't it? Like we'll have the plan kind of what they want to do then what we mostly what we want to do though um and usually it doesn't change too much you know it might be in terms of the kicking battle yeah. um, um watch out for that yeah it's tweaks that's a good word watch out for who how they're going to attack off set piece um, phase play um and there's usually not a lot you can do about it so in terms of the messaging and this is where this is what i mean go back to say going back to when i said it is it's evolving for me, you know, before I would have been, right, we need to solve this, we need to solve this. You know, that's not going well, how can we? And it's like, A, you've got loads of messages, and B, realistically, are you going to change how everyone, how we're going to defend or, or how we're going to attack within a within a huddle, considering we've trained like a, yeah. this way the whole week? And this is why I like working with Ben, because he's he doesn't talk too much. And it, it's just kind of how, how we refocus, how we get back to what we want to do. And the focus, put, putting the focus back on us rather than what, what, worrying about what they're doing and how they're going to, you know, attack. I thought it was really complicated messages or is intricate messages. It's not. It's just right, lads. Next, next job. I think having that trust with everyone that they're going to do it, considering we've trained it all week, um, and and bring it back to doing it on the field. You just got to end up going out and doing it and showing your mates that you can do it, showing them that you're going to go hit the next guy, showing them that you're just going to get the ball up and just run as hard as you can. And that's ultimately what it comes down to, to be honest. Um, do you look at other sports, other sports people, and how they behave, how they learn? And does that work for you? Is there someone? Yeah, I think probably not so much as teams, but more individuals for me. Um, you know, Kobe Bryant was a big one. Um, and just seeing his, they call it the Mamba mentality, but just seeing, kind of reading how, how he thinks, um, a lot of it around training, 
um, and, and what he does. And I think it's important to learn. And like I said, still getting some things wrong. Um, and that's the best thing, bit is, is, is trying. Some things work, some things really don't because, you know, we're, we're not a team of five superstars. It's a team of, you know, 60 people and, and all striving to, towards a, a bigger goal. Um, ob obviously the same goal, but it's a, it's a different entity, I think, in itself. Do, do you look at other coaches, managers in other sports, or do you go to other leaders in business, or both? Both, yeah. I've got a couple of mentors, lucky enough to have a couple of mentors. Bill Bezik, who worked for a long time with, with Fergie. Um, I've got Wayne Hoyle, who was the only man to be head of the SBS and of the SAS. He does a bit with you as well, Tom, doesn't he? So we, we try and get people in who, in many senses, are, are far further reaching and more accomplished than, than ourselves, in hope that some of that little bit of stardust will sprinkle off on us. And I think it does, contain, you know, character is contagious. Um, and very few within the game, like Mark McCall. The theory being that if I'm to follow too many within this game, then you're only ever going to be, you know, a poor, more faded, less resolution, resolution copy of that of that person or organisation. So and we look to the better organisations, as which we did. Like we sent all the coaches out to the Storm and some AFL teams, Penrith Panthers this um, this summer, and they came back. Um, the better for it, didn't they? So yeah, had a good time in Australia as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no, you have to be curious. Yeah, you have to be really curious. Because, because now there are there are all sorts of coaching groups as groups that have set up, haven't they? That combine a bit of rugby or NFL or you know, and where they meet and discuss and swap techniques. Yeah, FA coming here, so the FA coaches course for the um, for the levels that they have to become a, a professional manager. We are part of their curriculum, annual curriculum now. So they come in two or three times a year and they'll have to speak to them. We've got some cricketers coming in next week. It's a bit of a revolving door of, of people coming in to see what they can take from us. And in and um, in like that we make sure we sit down with them and see what we can learn from them. So it's always reciprocal with some feedback. So we're constantly seeing how people perceive us to make sure that we're not just, there's not just confirmation bias within these four walls that we're doing the right thing. And you can't, you can't be responsible for every department within within a club. You know, commercial, marketing, accounting, whatever. But you, as a you as the as the men's first team, first team squad, can set the tone for everybody else. That that is something that has landed on me and weighs on me more more now. Uh, 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 and in a positive sense, you know, it's a privilege, isn't it, that you can potentially have an uh, an influence, which, which comes by th um, three ways, I would say. Like, primarily, as a, as a first priority, like, m ensuring that the team is in a good place and well-coached and supported, and we get the performance on the grass. Like, that's the first thing, because we win and we perform well, and, uh, you know, the latter comes before the former, then we will continue to be invested in and resourced and, and have a lifestyle that we enjoy. And on the back of that, you can build legacies. So that's the first thing. 
and that's what I got into initially. And then through naivety, I didn't realise that there was another couple of hats I have to wear. The second one is I'm actually at the forefront of managing medium-sized business here. So not just the team, there's 150 people uh, in and around um, with support staff, which require management um, and certainly purpose at times. And then there's the wider scope, which I feel everyone is feeding off at the moment and being energised by, is that we could and have the ability to be the focal point for rugby in the north. Uh, there's no one else around here. And that's through the women's sport. It's through um, the work that we do with the Down syndrome kids. It's through grassroots and Trafford schools. That's a new team that a friend of mine just put together out of nothing for those non-rugby playing schools around here. It's through the example that these boys set when they go out to schools and in the community and on the field and how they present themselves and he's the last person to come out after signing autographs, often, as Manu is, whose time's most precious, you know what I mean? And then, and then you can feel that in and around the place when the women come in and train at five o'clock when you're seeing happy faces going down to Sale FC like I did last week, even in the street in Nutsford where I live, that you're actually making a difference just outside these four walls. So, you know, when you're talking culturally, what's important to us in a microchasm of 40 players or 60 players and 10 or so coaches, there's, there's further reaching um, benefits, which I say are a privilege um, to have an influence on. Um, well, I'll I'll end with you then, just to pick up on that. Well, <laughs> well, because because it is so much more, you know. This is about culture and leadership. This one, but it's it's so much more when you are in a community than than just playing the game, and that's a good thing. There's not many beauties of being injured, um, but one of them is, I guess, this isn't a really the, the best thing. But w watching in the stands. And you, you you get to be in amongst the fans, and I think that's really special. I think to see the impact because often you don't you, you get caught in this. I'm here to play. Yeah. Um, um, you know, turn up, hydration, nutrition, warm up. I need to get myself right, and it's about you. But you you rock up and you you see how much of an impact it makes on everyone else, and uh, you don't get to see that many times. Um, and I think that's that's really special. I think your oxytocin increased during this podcast because yeah. because you, you you sort of turned around and have, have become more more open. Well, that. that wasn't a conversation before, was it? We're just all heading out to a camera. I might I might add I've got the smallest camera trained on me. I don't know if that's going to work. What's in my face? It's in my contract, Alice. Wherever I go, <laughs> yeah. I just see the biggest, I need the biggest camera and all the lights on me. Uh, thank you, but both I, of you. Yeah, thanks very much. I've enjoyed that. Cheers. Thank you very much. Cheers. In each episode of Swimming with Sharks, we're going to get to know the current Sharks squad a little better. Let's see who's up this week. Hello, I'm uh, Joe Carpenter. Uh, play fullback for the Sharks, and this week's special guest is Tom Roebuck, player of the wing, aka Butt Beast. Yes, that would me. be your uh, nickname around here, wouldn't it? Yes. Um, so the first question of ten questions is. What would be your first memory of playing rugby? I was probably maybe four or five. I think my dad took me down for one one session on a Sunday. I know it was. But I think it was Chester Rugby Club. I was four or five and we just trained in the 22 for about an hour. And then that was it, really. Enjoy it? 
It was good fun. We quit for a year after it because it was a bit cold in winters. But we <laughs> you came do back. Get cold. We do cold hands. But we came back when I was about six, and that's when it sort of kicked off properly. Did you uh, always want to be a professional rugby player after that session, or was that just a hobby? I don't think I did to start with. I think like every young kid, I wanted to be a footballer. Probably would have been turned out better. But I think the I moment I wanted to be a rugby player was probably when I was about eleven or twelve when I. I actually started getting properly into it and I started watching a lot more games. That was probably the moment for me. So when you did start watching those games, who was your uh, biggest childhood influence uh, in and around the game? I Everyone used to speak about Johnny Wilkinson. I was probably a bit late for him, to be honest. It's a bit embarrassing, really. But probably probably the closest one that I can remember is actually Manu. Growing up, I used to actually not idolise him, but like want to be like him because he was a big player in for English rugby. I remember when I was about 13, I had a... My wallpaper on my phone was actually money. Is heavy. it still now? No, not anymore. Definitely is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, not anymore. Know. Not anymore. But uh, growing up, it was probably money. To be fair, it was, what's the best advice you've ever had? If it is from him, if you ever spoke to him when you were a child, or <laughs> no, maybe not a little. Anyone that came in. Um, best advice growing up. It, it's probably always just been enjoy it first. It's never been like a a job so to speak or a task it's always been enjoyment and actually wanting to go out and do what you want to do instead of being forced to train or being forced to play that's probably my main focus point i'm assuming you still enjoy it i love it what's your career highlight mate uh you probably <laughs> you've probably had many you've probably had many as you love your job um but but really nail it down and specify me one please a career highlight for sale it would have to be I'm torn between two. I'm going to go with the Leicester game uh, last season, which great was game. a great game, yeah. And I actually ended up scoring that try in probably at like the last minute. And we'd actually filled out the AJ Bell that, um, that time. Well, they're going again, and the charge for the line, and very nearly there, and Robux scores! That was probably the best moment for me. Um, well, you've pretty much answered it with the best thing about being a shark, um, mm -hmm. but... We'll elaborate on that. Um, best thing about being a shark that's not rugby related. Obviously, the fans supporting you when it's when they're there is great. But for for me, the best thing about being a shark is playing with the lads that you've grown up with. Because we've come through, we've got a real tight knit of about ten of us that grew up and played played together throughout the age group. So coming through now and actually playing as a whole unit in the first team is massive for us. We are all mates. We're all still really close. So that's huge for us. And I love that. Any lads from Yorkshire that you get on with? Um, one, yeah, you, unfortunately. <laughs> Somehow. Any superstitions uh, pre-match? Um, last season, last season I had a good one. I saw a chop and change. The only one that I stick to is a spag bowl before a game, which you're a big part of. Class. Spag bowl and garlic bread. But I used to have a good one, which was last year. Every The day before every game, I had to have a Greg's. Oh. Yeah, because for the first, like, four Jeez. games... I think I had a Greg's can before we, every game. And can I we scored. dive into the Greg's a little bit more? What, what we uh, It was a steak bake and a Lucasaid. Delicious. Yeah, it was fantastic. So for the first, I think for four weeks on the bounce, I had a Greg's and I scored four weeks on the bounce. <laughs> <laughs> every game after that, we'll get back on it. I had to do that. So yeah, that was a good superstition of mine. Um, well, I'm supposed to ask you any unusual talents, but. I think we've identified eating Greg's yeah, would, be, that's a good would one. be your unusual talent. Um, any, so we'll move on to any hobbies outside the game. I wouldn't say I'm a good one. I love cooking, for you especially. 
because um, you can't cook, so I have to cook for you. And then apart from that, probably just like, I like going out and doing other stuff. So other activities that aren't quite rugby um, are good for me. So I used to, when I was a kid, I used to love surfing, skiing and stuff like that. So being out, out and doing stuff is really good for me. I like doing that. The activity man. You're not a bad yeah. surfer actually. So Thank I can, you. I can vouch for you on that. Uh, I can't say the same about myself. <laughs> um, and finally, to wrap it up, uh, a question that stumps people sometimes, actually. Yeah. Oh, well, um, probably stump me as well. Tell us something we don't know about you. Oh, here we go. I love that one. Um... Anything? What would you say? I don't know. That's why I said it. Was yeah. We're stumped. <laughs> <laughs> and cut. Uh, that's it. Thanks for listening to the first episode of Swimming with Sharks. I'll be back next month with another episode. In the meantime, to find out more about the club or let us know what you want to hear on this pod, you can find Sail Sharks on Instagram or Twitter.